0: You're listening to a North Valley Church podcast. Thanks so much for joining. For more information and resources, you can visit us online at northvalley.org. All right. Well, good morning. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Ryan. Those of you that are new, I serve as the lead pastor, founding pastor. Great to be with you this morning. We're in a teaching series called The Road to Easter. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up. We're in John chapter 12 is where we'll be. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. We're going to look at the triumphal entry. It is uh, Palm Sunday. And so uh, church history has been celebrating the entry of Jesus Christ into Jerusalem, Uh, for centuries. And so we're excited. This morning, it is to be turning on to that very same section, and it is in our church calendar uh, that Sunday as well. So... um uh, before we get going, a couple of announcements. Uh, baptisms, we've got a number of young people being baptized. So excited about that. Those of you, uh, families that are represented, are going to be baptized. Great job discipling your students or your kids, uh, student ministry workers, teachers. Great job. Uh, thank you for instructing so many young people to go public with their faith in Jesus Christ. Last week, we had a record attendance uh, outside of a holiday for our North Valley kids ministry. Um, so we've got a growing number of young families a part of the church. So um, we're very pro-family. We love seeing kids. So uh, ladies and, uh, and gentlemen, uh, those of you who are married, uh, be fruitful and continue to multiply. So good job. Uh, what, a, what a great opportunity is to build families and Uh, So thank you. All of you who are single and investing into the next generation, thank you for doing that. Uh, It's a really big, it's a big help and it's a wonderful ministry. So thanks for doing that. Um, Next week as well. Oh gosh, we're looking at this Friday, Good Friday services. So it's going to be a very busy week for me. I think we've got a memorial this week. Um, And then from somebody in the community, which we're happy to help. um, We've got a Good Friday service this Friday. Um, and then it's going to be incredible. So this is a young family that's uh, coming, and they do uh, gospel country music together. It's a father, son, and a daughter, and it's so special. So we're excited to be able to do that. 6.30 p.m., invite a friend. You should have one of these little cards with you if you don't mind grabbing one of those. And just give it to somebody. Maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker this week. Uh, get rid of those for us and put it in the hands. Put it to good use. Um, and then on Easter Sunday, we're doing... think it is four different services, a sunrise service. That message will be an abbreviated message. Um, I will be preaching that. It'll be a different worship team. And then um, we've got three indoor services that will take place. So make sure you don't show up at the wrong time next week. 8.30, 10 and 11.30 will be the times. So uh, just a show of hands, how many of you plan to be at the 8.30 service? Two of you. Okay. (laughs) Uh, how many of you plan to be at the 10 o'clock service? Raise your hand. How many at the 1130? Okay, how many are you planning to be here? All right, there you go, okay, good. Um, I want to encourage you to invite a friend to a service. Our busiest service probably will be the 10 uh, a.m. service. So, um, you know, just be mindful of that. So if you're inviting friends, that'll be the most crowded service Um, and but we'll make room out in the courtyard and all that if you're a regular member attender and it gets real crowded be the first to give up your seat and maybe go sit outside and enjoy the courtyard we've set that up as a place of worship as well it's not the same as being in the room but just want to encourage you to do that if you invite a friend make sure that you show up with your friend don't just say hey i'll see you there uh say hey i'll meet you out at the ramada Where there's coffee and all that. And I'd love to connect with you before we go in. So understand there'll be a lot of new people uh, this coming weekend, and we're excited about that. And so um, that's that. I think I've covered just about everything. The women are out today. My wife is uh, on a women's retreat with a number of other women. We're so grateful for the ministry that's happening in our North Valley men's ministry and women's ministry. So we're in for a great spring season. Let me pray for us, and we're going to get uh, started in God's Word together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the work you're doing in the church. Thank you for the the great number of young kids that are continuing to be a part. Uh, They're growing in their faith. Thank you for all the workers that are serving, the teachers, the aides, uh, all the guest services, um, the student ministry workers. Uh, Thank you, Lord. We want to build your name great from generation to generation, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Everybody said, amen. amen. Okay, well, we're starting back in this uh, message series. This is part two. It's called The Road to Easter. Um, and so Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem. And uh, it's, uh, he stopped off at uh, Bethany and had a visit with uh, friends, uh, Ma- Mary, Martha, Lazarus, and most likely Simon the ex-leper, was there as well. And uh, now he is making his way into uh, Jerusalem. How many of you ever been on a road trip where it's kind of treacherous and the road getting there was incredibly difficult? Somebody raise your hand for me. Yeah. Um, Not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, my wife and I celebrated our 20-year anniversary. We flew into Maui, and uh, it was incredible. Best six days of my life, I, I say. And uh, we got there, though, and there was a terrible... Uh, remember, several weeks ago, there was just rain all over the country. Well, there was rain all over Maui. And so we got there, and we had a, a car that we were supposed to drive, and it was a convertible Mustang. We were so excited about that. It's late at night. We're very jet-lagged. And we get in the car, and we start driving to our destination, little Airbnb. And the windshield wipers aren't working. And uh, I'm supposed to wear prescription glasses when I drive, but I don't, and I should. And my wife's like, (laughs) and little did we know, I'm just following that yellow line as closely as I can, being so careful. And um, the next day, as the fog cleared, we realized there was a cliff on the other side. And we're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I didn't see that last night. Uh, and then a day or two later, we did this thing called the Road to Hana. Has anybody ever heard of the Road to Hana? Yeah, we got on that thing. And the first thing the driver says, I think we, only, we got the only 20-year-old Road to Hana driver that, that exists. He said to me, he goes, hey, listen, everybody, um, no oohing and aahing. No ooh ah, oh, oh. None of, all you ladies in here that you get afraid, it, if you're going to say anything, just just zip it. I was like, okay, this guy is coming off strong. And he said, don't worry. I've been doing this a while. He goes, you'll see me cross the yellow lines. Don't worry about it. I'm like, this is worse than a New York cab driver. If those exist anymore, now it's Uber and everybody else. So anyway, we're driving through the road to Hana and it's fairly treacherous, I would say. And this guy, he would ride up on people's tail end and just start honking as hard as he could until they would pull over. And then he'd drive by and go, we're good. <laughs> and this was the road to Hana. It was very treacherous in some regard. I thought it was a lot of fun. Um, great experience. Uh, but this morning, we're looking at the road to Easter. We're looking at Jesus Christ and his triumphal entry. Um, the road is that Christ is going to follow is really all by not just by happenstance, but by God's holy decree, that Jesus Christ, all the details of his life are being prophetically fulfilled as he walks into it. I mean, everything's happening according to Scripture. Thousands of years before this event takes place, the triumphal entry, it was already prophesied by the prophet Zechariah, that Jesus would, this Messiah would come in riding on a donkey, A donkey is not a symbol of uh, war or power or triumph. Uh, It's a symbol of peace. And so we're picking up in the Scripture. I've outlined the text for us. Verse 12 through 13, it's just the beginning. It's the coming of King Jesus. John chapter 12, verses 12 through 19, we see it's the coming of King Jesus. Jesus uh, is a king. There is a throne in heaven awaiting him. Many were wanting him to be king already because he had done so many powerful, wonderful things. It was a messianic uh, uh, expectation by the Jews. They were hoping a a deliverer would come and be king and overthrow Rome, the Roman Empire, and uh, uh, rectify all the wrongs, uh, set up a new government. And it says in verse 12, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the capital city. It's the largest city. Uh, commentaries uh, and scholars have, have said that during Passover, this uh, festival in which the Jewish people looked back on the deliverance of Uh, The Israelites or the Jewish people in bondage during the time in Egypt, uh, they would come together and remember God's deliverance. So, they would do this on a period of a time. It wasn't just one day. It would be like Passover week, like a festival in a sense. Uh, These large crowds, I want to help you clarify a couple of things about the text. The large crowds, uh, some commentators and scholars would say that during Passover, some 250,000 lambs would be slaughtered on Passover. That's a lot. That's a quarter of a million. If each lamb was used to sacrifice for a family of 10, that would mean that there's perhaps 2.5 million people gathered in Jerusalem. Uh, when they, the scripture is saying, large crowds. These are very, very large crowds, unruly, uh, unprecedented amount of people uh, that would be pouring in from all over uh, on these festivals, and especially with Jesus, because of his reputation, all that he had been doing. Um, the next day, it says in verse twelve, I believe that is Sunday. Uh, so, Saturday, he had been over with uh, in Bethany with Simon the leper, according to the Gospels, and uh, Mary, and, and Martha, and Lazarus, who's been raised from the dead. And so, it says the next day, this would be Sunday. And in church history, if you look on your calendars, it says Palm Sunday. So, let's look. The coming of King Jesus, there's anticipation in verse 13. It says, so. so, so they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him crying out, Hosanna. Uh, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of, help me out. Yeah. They're anticipating, uh, it is messianic times. There's an anticipation that there's going to be change, that that Jesus uh, could be the deliverer. And so they come and they gather and they hold up these palm branches. And this was a, 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 a practice that they would do from time to time uh, during Passover. Um, and the palm branches will become the symbol for Israel. The palm branches are something that they would do as well for, for kings or in other gospel accounts. They say that they they laid out their clothes. And then here comes King Jesus, uh, And they're saying, Hosanna, and Hosanna means save us. And so they are wanting to be saved from the oppression that is going on, and they're wanting to be saved from from the evil empire of Rome, in a sense, and they're looking to Jesus Christ as perhaps their deliverer. And then we see in verses 14 through 15, uh, I call it the confirmation of prophecy, Uh, This is, uh, uh, Zechariah 9.9 is what occurs here. Like I said, Jesus steps into divine time. He's constantly walking into prophetic fulfillments. Um, It says that, and Jesus found a young donkey and he sat on it just as it is written. Uh, John the uh, Apostle wrote that down just as it is, help me out, Written, uh, what is written? What was written was Zechariah nine nine that uh, the Messiah would come in riding on a donkey. Uh, this is a messianic prophecy being fulfilled here in verse fourteen. Um, there's three hundred prophecies that point directly to the Messiah that are given hundreds and thousands of years before uh, Jesus Christ fulfills them, there's more than 300 uh, in the Old Testament. Um, There's the time of his birth. Uh, There's the fact that he would be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, that he would be mocked. All of this is prophecy, He would be crucified. He would be pierced. Uh, He would die with the wicked. He would be buried with the rich. All of this is prophecies. Those were just eight that I gave you. Eight prophecies. I want to walk through this just for a moment. Mathematics and astronomy professor Peter Stoner uh, made the statement about the chances of eight prophecies being fulfilled uh, in one person. He said the chances are one in ten to the seventeenth power, anybody um, math like math a lot raise your hand i 'm not going to call you out, but just raise your hand if you 're more mathematically inclined. Very few people we are in trouble. okay, a couple of you <laughs> uh, so there's one to the tenth seventeenth power I, I was like, what is one to the tenth seventeenth power? so the likelihood of eight prophecies coming true is a sheer chance is 1 to 10 to the 17th power. So let me just explain. So uh, when you have one zero, that's 10. When you have two, that's 100. When you have three, that's 1,000. If you have four, that's 10,000. If you have five, that's 100,000. If you have six zeros, that's a million. If you have nine, that's a billion. If you have 12, that's a trillion. If you have 15, that's quadrillion. So, Jesus fulfilling eight prophecies, one person fulfilling the chances of Jesus, one person fulfilling eight prophecy is like one in quadrillion plus chances. So, it would be like this. It would be, uh, Stoner put it like this. It would be like covering the entire state of Texas with silver dollars two feet deep, marking one of those silver dollars with a permanent marker, put a cross on it, fly a helicopter over Texas, throw the silver dollar off, locate it, dig and bury it, and then send a blind man walking through Texas to find that. And on his first try, he goes, got it! That's the likelihood of somebody fulfilling just eight prophecies. And what I'm saying is, That's just eight. Jesus fulfilled more than 300. The mathematical probability that Jesus is who he says he is is undeniable. He is king. He is Lord. Amen? So this is one of those messianic prophecies. This is Zechariah, and he shows up, Jesus, just as Zechariah would say. And it says, verse 15, this is out of Zechariah, it says they kind of chant this out: "Fear not, daughter of Zion! Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt." Uh, they use this. Jerusalem and the people in Jerusalem were personified um, as daughters of Zion, uh, the daughter of Jerusalem. It's something very tender and very sweet. And how many fathers do we have in the room that have daughters in the ro- daughters? Yeah. Man, let me just speak to you just for a moment. What a privilege that you have to be a father to young young ladies. I've got my daughters sitting over here. I love them. I've asked them uh, to be with me in church services, and I love being with them. And it's a privilege being a dad. Um, father God is uh, hes a great father. Um, there's a special role that you men play being a father to your daughters. And I wasn't planning on talking about this, but I just want to encourage you, we, just in our men series, we just got done looking at uh, being a good father to your daughter. Yeah, and uh, what a privilege that is to raise them up to love the Lord. You hold a special place in their life. And God uses this language, I think, to connect to the A familial relationship, he says, fear not. And fear not is mentioned all the time. Uh, It's one of the most repeated commands. And in a time like this, there's a lot of anxiety, there's a lot of fears. And God's Word tells us, fear not. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Uh, This was an announcement that the king had come. Uh, The interesting thing is, is there's just confusion about all of this. The disciples were very confused. They don't understand Zechariah had written this. They forgot that part. Uh, We'll see that in a minute. I'm going to give you, though, three things I think that you need to know about King Jesus. Number one is that when Jesus was coming in this first coming, uh, Jesus comes to conquer sin and Satan at the cross. This is… Jesus is taking the initiative. He shows up in Jerusalem. He knows exactly what's going to happen on Friday. He he knows he was destined to die. He's fully aware of this. Uh, Jesus does come as king, and his job as king is to conquer. But to conquer what? to conquer sin and Satan at the cross. The Bible says this, is that he canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Jesus takes away our sins. He nails it to the cross. At the cross, you and I have Um, The cancellation of the penalty of sin that you and I do not have to uh, suffer uh, in agony and loss uh, and separation from a life with God. Our sins can be forgiven. The penalty for sin is death. You don't get death as a believer in Jesus Christ, you get life, you get life everlasting. At the cross, he canceled the record of the charges against us, took it away by nailing it to the cross. In verse 15, in this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. Jesus also broke the power of sin. As a believer in Jesus Christ, at the cross, you find a new power that's not your own power. You you get a supernatural power in your life to overcome the temptation to sin that you have the ability to say, no, I'm living free of this. The power of Christ is stronger than the uh, power of Satan. He says that he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly, his victory over them on the cross. So Jesus did come as a king in his first coming at the cross to conquer, but he came to conquer sin and Satan. Amen? That is the good news with the cross, and we'll look at that more clearly on Good Friday. Number two, Jesus did come, and he came to offer peace. The peace that he wanted wasn't uh, the Pax Roma peace, the peace of Rome. It wasn't a political peace, uh, the absence of uh, 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 tyranny. Uh, It wasn't the absence of uh, an evil uh, dictator. It wasn't the absence of uh, Caesar. But the peace that Jesus came to give is actually peace in the midst of the problems but it was a peace that was connected to the cross. That's the peace that Jesus came to give. Jesus willingly shows up in Jerusalem. He knows exactly what's going to happen, that he's going to the place to die. That's where he's going. And so the peace that he would offer would be through the, through the work of the cross. Romans 5.1, the apostle Paul says this later, therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God Through our Lord Jesus. Help me out. Yeah. How do you get peace with God? It's through the cross. That cross is your bridge. Uh, From uh, question and doubt of anxiety, what's next? How's this all going to work? To thank you, God, I have peace with you through Jesus Christ. And God the Father looks at you, loves you because of the work of Jesus Christ. You have peace with God through, not you, not through your good works, but through Jesus Christ. So Jesus did come to offer peace. Number three, Jesus will come back, and he will come back to make war. This is his second coming. There is a day and time, and this is what they wanted him to do in his first coming. They wanted Jesus to ride into Jerusalem and say, rally the troops. We're going to have a war. And then rally. All the zealots, that's who would come first, all the zealots, and say, Let's go take the palace. Let's go overthrow Caesar. Let's take back our land. You're the king. We'll follow you. Let's make war. But Jesus didn't do that. He came, and His war would be on sin and Satan in His first coming. He wouldn't come for war in His first coming. He would come to offer peace. But Jesus will come back, and He will make war. He will make war. I believe this would be after the time of the tribulation in the future, what will happen one day, is that Jesus will come back and he will wage war on all evil. And this is where we get in that uh, old song, Oh, when the saints, oh, when the saints go marching in, I want to be a part of that number. Hallelujah, right? (laughs) <laughs> so they come marching in, and, and they're coming with King Jesus. And, and I'm going to show you that in Scripture in just a second. It's really powerful. You're like, do I get a white horse? Yes, you do. Uh, watch this. Revelation 19:11. Then I saw heaven opened up, and behold, a white horse. That's not for you, though. Uh, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness, he judges and makes war. This is our King Jesus. He's coming back. He's going to make everything right. He will establish a kingdom. His first coming is about peace, and it's peace through the cross. His second coming is about a kingdom. It's about a kingdom on earth. When the Lord prays the Lord's Prayer, and those of, my, those of you that come from a Catholic background or educated by Catholics, uh, maybe family members, remember our Father who art in heaven? hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, what? Come. Thy will be on earth as it is in heaven. Well, that's not right now. That's not happening. (laughs) You turn on the news every day and it's bad news. I mean, every day. It's literally, my daughter and I are driving around the other day and we're driving and it's like, talking all this really bad news, and, and just in a back, and we'll be back in a moment with some news about riots, stabbings, and shootings. I'm like, let's turn this off. Let's go listen to some Christian music and get some good news for a minute. You know, um, so he's coming back to make war, to overthrow all evil, to overcome it and create a brand new heaven and earth. Verse 12, his eyes are like a flame of fire. This is our King Jesus coming back. Uh, In his first coming, his eyes were filled with tears over Jerusalem. In his second coming, they're filled with the flames of fire. And on his head are many diadems. Well, in his first coming, he wore a crown of thorns. Now he's got a, a king's crown and his name was written that no one knows but himself. Verse 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. Well, On his first coming, he did wear a robe that was borrowed. It was spattered with his own blood at the cross. And it says, and the name by which he is called the Word of God, and the armies of heaven, oh, when the saints, watch this, and the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen and white and pure, were following him on white horses. This is the first time I read this this week. I'm like, wait a second, the armies from heaven are coming down? And we all get horses? (laughs) That would be amazing. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword in which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. This is not a Jesus, perhaps, that you're familiar with. But he will pour out the wrath of God Almighty, is what it says, upon all evil, upon all wrongdoing. Verse 16, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of kings, help me out, and Lord of, he's the Lord of lords. He's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. And that is our powerful, triumphant king that is coming. The king is coming he is coming back. Um, They were wanting that in his first coming. They thought that was going to happen in Palm Sunday, the triumphal entry was the inauguration. Like, let's roll. Let's do this. They're chanting, save us! Save us! And they're thinking, let's wage war. But by Friday, they'll be yelling, crucify him! crucify him!" Three things you needed to know about King Jesus. I said, number one, Jesus conquers sin and Satan at the cross. Number two, Jesus came to offer peace in his first coming. In his number three, Jesus will come back and make war. So where are we at? Let's remember back in 14 and 15, the disciples are confused, uh, about what had happened, Jesus riding in. They're overwhelmed with all of the numbers of people flocking around Jesus. Perhaps 2.5 million people are gathered in Jerusalem chanting out Hosanna. I mean, as loud as you can imagine, I don't know if you've, you've been in the stadiums before when you're cheering. You could be far out in the parking lot. You could be driving into uh, State Farm Stadium and hear the crowds chanting, right? And you know, if you're in spring training games or whatever, you know something spectacular is happening because of the crowds cheering. So, surrounding cities could hear Jerusalem chanting. They could hear this. It, it would have been a deep level of confusion for the disciples. Jesus went to Jerusalem's most wanted, to all of a sudden now he's like the powerhouse king. That's the fickleness of a crowd. And so they're confused. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first. Let me just pause for a moment. How many of you are confused from time to time in the Christian faith just about what the Bible has to say or things that I say? Sometimes I get people to call me back and they email me and they're like, hey, I was confused about this. And when you said this, I'm like, that's not what I said. You heard something different. Uh. And sometimes I say things that, can, yeah, absolutely are confusing, but as a young believer, you're going to get confused. These guys got confused. They were oftentimes confused. I mean, in Matthew 16, Jesus predicted His death, and Peter took Him aside and begins to rebuke Jesus and says, you know, hey, Peter jumps up and says to Jesus, like, wait a second, you, far be it from you, Lord, you're, you're not going to get crucified, and then Jesus responds back to Peter and says, get behind me, what? Satan, don't ever say that to your wife, man. If something goes wrong, get behind me, Satan, no, that ain't gonna work. Uh, I, I have not done that, thankfully. Uh, but uh, you hear this said in Christian circles sometimes when somebody's saying something and it's completely wrong and and you confront them and they, get behind me, Satan. Uh, that's what Jesus said to Peter when Peter was confused about when Jesus was predicting his death. Uh, the disciples were confused. Even the most devoted and dedicated disciples were confused about the death of Jesus Christ and furthermore, the resurrection for sure. Luke 18, 34, Jesus foretold his death a third time, and it says that they understood none of these things. I think there is encouragement here, is that if you don't get it at first, the Christian faith or issues that are in the Bible, like if you don't get it at first, just join the club. You don't have to understand everything. The disciples are confused. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when… Jesus was glorified. Then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and had been done to Him. Uh, They remembered all the details of what Jesus Christ uh, began… They began to see some of the prophetic Scriptures being to take place, and they began to read back in their Bibles and get into the Word and begin to see, like, wait a second, all of this was predicted. All of this was taking place just according to time, God's plan and purpose, the confusion of the disciples. Um, They don't understand at first, and then we're going to see the curiosity of the crowds. Obviously, crowds are constantly curious. This is why when you go, uh, there's uh, crowds that will gather just out of curiosity to see what's going on. Um, And here's what happens, verse 17 through 18, the crowd that had been with them when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb. So remember, crowds begin to form when a dead man gets raised and, and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. Lazarus continuing to share about Jesus. Verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard that he had done this help me out sign. People wanted to see the signs and the miracles. I mean, who wouldn't? A dead man gets raised from the dead. The Bible said he stinketh Now he's alive, and now he's at home, and he's hosting a dinner for Jesus with Mary and Martha. Uh, Simon the leper was there. He was an old leper. He gets healed. He doesn't have leprosy anymore. He's enjoying meals uh, with everybody. People wanted to go and see Jesus because of the signs he had done. This is what attracted the masses, the, the, the supernatural. In verse John chapter 6, I want to remind you, John chapter 6, right before he feeds uh, the multitudes, uh, it says a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus was a miracle worker. Everybody, I've said it over and over again, everybody loves the good works of Jesus, but a lot of people don't like the good news of Jesus. They love the good works. Um, John twelve nine through 12, again, it's… Uh, Large crowds of Jesus learned that Jesus was there, and they came not only on account of him, but also they wanted to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. People wanted to see Jesus because of the works that he had done. And then in verse 19, we'll see the the coveting of the Pharisees. These are the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders. They have a very strong sense of scripture, but they've missed the Savior. What a sadness! So many Christians are like this today. They love the Bible so much, but they love the Bible, I would say, more than they love the Savior, Jesus. Uh, We don't worship the Bible, ladies and gentlemen. We worship Jesus. Amen? And if you worship the Bible, you know what that'll make you? A Pharisee. That'll make you a legalistic Pharisee. And that's what happened to these individuals. They worshiped the rules. They didn't worship the Redeemer. Uh, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world is gone after Him. They're probably talking at uh, very high levels of decibel levels, over- trying to overcome the crowd noise, uh, probably behind shut doors. Look, the whole world's after Him. Uh, John 4.1 tells us that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than the Apostle John, and they were very concerned over His power from a very, very, very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus was initially and continually and consistently a threat uh, to the religious establishment of His day. Uh, in John chapter eleven, verse forty-six through forty-eight, it tells us that the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, "What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we're to let him go like, uh, like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation." Uh, that was in John chapter eleven. What was the problem? Their problem was is that they coveted power. Um. They idolized it. Coveting is wanting something that's not yours. Well, they wanted power they did not have. They wanted control they did not have. They were looking and willing to do anything to take up that power, ready to kill for that power. And that's exactly what they will do. There's a real evil that had entered into um, uh, the work against Jesus. Um, I want to speak to you just for a moment about some of the evil I see in the world. 2023, the Covenant School shooting. I'm sure all of you saw that on the news or you heard it on the radio this week. On March 27, 2023, there was a mass shooting occurred at the Covenant School, uh, a private Presbyterian church um, in Green Hills, neighborhood of Nashville, Tennessee, former student and local resident. Audrey Elizabeth Hale, 28 years old, killed three children, three adults, uh, were killed by and killed uh, by two responding Metropolitan Nashville Police Department officers. Um, the shooter was reported as a woman by police. Uh, Hale identified as a trans man, and went by he or him pronouns, sometimes using the first name Aiden. Um I saw this and heard this, and uh, it grieved me. I was, I don't know if you were with us last Sunday, but you recall I said, one of the closing comments I made in the service, I said, as a Christian, you should expect an increased level of persecution. I don't know if you remember that or not. But I said, uh, you should expect an increased level of persecution. And I I quoted one of the the recent events that occurred in our state where uh, Arizona Christian University was uh, basically canceled contracts by a local school district based on the reality that these schools are producing biblically-minded student teachers, and that's a big problem, according to the school district. So they were canceling contracts. It's called religious discrimination, absolutely discriminating. And that's a form of persecution that I think Christians uh, will face and uh, are facing. If you're a business leader, an owner, if you're in, in ministry, a church leader, you should be prepared for an onslaught of continual persecution. Um, physical persecution like this, this was also something like this happened in Oregon, where a uh, a young person walked in and started saying, if you're a Christian, stand up, and then went into a school and They'd say I'm a Christian, and they'd stand up and they'd just shoot him and kill him. Um, I see this, and this is evil. Um, it was sad to me that it, I don't feel like the the news and the media did a whole. I mean, I I know this is would be debated, but it it, it, it we changed the idea that this was a transgender person and just referred to the shooter as a individual. Um, to me, I see a very troubled individual, somebody who's opened themselves up for evil. And um, this can do this in so so bad and hurt our hurt so many people. As a Christian, you should be praying for all those that were affected. As a Christian, you should prepare yourself um, uh, to, to protect yourself. You should prepare, in a sense, for an increased level of hostility against uh, your faith. Um, I called our security team, and I said uh, on, uh, earlier this week, I said, I would encourage you to increase the security. I would encourage you not as a, as a deep fear that all this is going to happen in uh, our church or uh, other churches here in Arizona, but it is a very good precaution for, I'd say, Christian schools, uh, churches, to have a very strong security system in place. Um, evil. Uh, after Easter, I'm going to do a teaching series called, uh, and it's about American Christianity, and it's going to be called uh, Distressed but Blessed. And it's how we are dis- a distressed people in many ways, but we're still co- Blessed. And I want to look at how the enemy is working in our country to do exactly what he said he was going to do. He's come to kill, steal, and what? Destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give what? Life. The good news is, is that uh, Jesus gives life and anybody that turns to him can walk out of darkness and find life. And that is the good news that we should hold on to. Um, These Pharisees were absolutely killers, uh, they're absolutely persecuting Jesus. Um, there is nothing new under the sun. There will be a constant uh, persecution, uh, continual. And the Bible says, prophecy says, that there will be, in the last days, there will be an increased level of persecution against believers, and there will be a callousness of heart against these kinds of events and acts, and a callousness towards God and Christianity. And some of the media was coming out and saying stuff like, Look how good your prayers are doing, Christians. Your prayers are doing nothing. And a very much a mockery of our faith and uh, much of our, um, uh, our beliefs. And so, with that being said, what do you do? How do we respond? I'll give you three points that relate to the message and, and relate to the times of our day. Number one is, um, what you need to know about God, yourself, and others is that when God does a good work, you need to be a good witness. What you need to do if you want to make a difference in this world, whatever God's done good in you, you go out and you make good in the world around you. You go invest in the lives of young people. Probably the greatest thing you could ever do is invest your life in the life of somebody else. I don't know what happened with that individual, the home life of uh, the, the shooter, um, this trans man, but I can tell you it, it wasn't a healthy uh, mental space, for sure. Anybody that wants to change their identity um, is, is suffering from some level of mental illness. You can disagree with me all that you want. Um, psychiatrists have agreed for decades that uh, there, there's a mental illness that is going on there. Um, the home that was going on there, I don't know, but uh, I can only think that the, the remedy is not necessarily more rules and regulations, but it's a transformation of the heart and the home of these families. Right now, I don't think parents are raising the generation. I think social media and culture is raising the generation. And, and that's where I think the enemy is trying to steal our children and our youth. And so if you want to make a difference, you be a good witness. As a husband and a wife, you show your kids what it looks like to love Jesus, live for Jesus, be a good citizen, make a difference, invest your time and your talent, make a difference. Anything good that's happened in your life, you be sure to share that for the name and fame of Jesus. This is what happened in verse 17. The crowd had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to bear witness. Lazarus is constantly bearing witness and he's not even saying a lot. All he's doing is showing up in the right place at the right time. Hey, is that Lazarus? That's the guy who walked around. He's he's alive. He was dead. Lazarus, that's me. I mean, the Bible records nothing of what he said. Men, this is a very good message for you. You don't have to say much and you can be a great witness. Uh, Mary, she's incredibly overt in her worship, remember? She's like, oh, Lord, and she's anointing him, and she's doing all this wonderful stuff. And then Martha, she's busy. She's serving the Lord. And then Lazarus, he does nothing, but he's a witness. All he's doing is like showing up at the right place at the right time. Like, yep, change me. That's it. Be a witness. When God does a good work, be a witness. Jesus said, acknowledge me before others and I will acknowledge you. You deny me, I will deny you. Be a witness. John 1, 6, 8, says that John the Baptist himself was sent from God to be a witness. You're sent to be a witness. You're a witness in this world. You need to make a difference in this world by the life that you live. You want to fix some of these problems we see in our culture? Help build up the local family. Help build up marriages help invest into children and youth. That's where we need to spend our time, money, and energy. Acts 1.8 says, The resurrected Christ said to His disciples, You will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Number two, what you need to know about God, yourself, and others is most people want a sign, some will want a Savior. The crowd, it says in verse 18, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard that he had done a sign. So most people want these signs. Very few people want the Savior. Just deal with that. Realize that. A lot of people will reject Jesus Christ as Messiah. A lot of people will reject Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Most people want to see the signs, the wonders. In Luke chapter 23, 8, when Herod saw Jesus, uh, when he was being uh, kind of put through the process to see who's going to get him crucified, King Herod saw Jesus, and he was very glad. He had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. Like, Jesus, do a trick for us. Show us what you can do. I've heard all about you. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't need to just be waiting on the signs, or you encourage people. You don't just wait on the sign. What you need more than anything is not the signs. You need the Savior. Here's what Psalm 16:5 says, and I love this paraphrase in the Good News Translation: "You, Lord, all I have, and you give me all I need. My future is in your hands." Amen. Let's read that together. You, Lord, are all I have and you give me all I need, my future is in your hands. That's the heart of a heart that's filled up with God and says, God, you're all I need. So that means anything can be taken from you, and He's still all you need. Um, We need the Savior. We don't need just the sign. Number three, some people are motivated by fear. Most are motivated by love. I think this is a leadership lesson. The Pharisees are tried fear tactics and says, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world's gone after him. They are so afraid. They're so afraid. Now, the whole world's really not going after Jesus. You know that, and I know that. This is hyperbole. This is exaggeration. This is panic talking. Yeah, fear starts doing the talking. Everything gets exaggerated. But there is something powerful about this. Notice, I, I pointed out, some people are motivated by fear. How many of you in parenting, be honest with me, you, you try to motivate out of fear? If you don't do this, right? And, and then the other parent usually says, hey, that, like, that might work for today, but we need to teach them like, the why and you know, go further. Um, fear-based training, uh, fear-based tactics, uh, There can get quick results, but it doesn't usually last. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you, love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love, if you have love for one another. Um, love changes the world. Napoleon Bonaparte, um, 1769 to 1821, is considered many one of the uh, greatest military commanders in history. Um, before I show you the quote, i will read to you a little bit more about this. He started as a second lieutenant in, in a French regiment. He rose to prominence during the French Revolution as a general of the revolutionary government against the royalist forces. His empire would extend all throughout Europe with some 70 million subjects. He reflects about one of his accomplishments, and he said this. Look at this quote. Alexander the Great, Caesar Augustus. Charlemagne and I have founded empires, but on what did we rest? The creations of our genius upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon, help me out, love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you loved us and your love transforms the world. We pray, Father, for every person here, um, Lord, that they would learn to receive that love and be changed by that love. Jesus, you are the king. Uh, You have come and you are coming again. We look to you for our hope, for our healing. You're the redeemer, you're the restorer. Lord, this world is messed up. We pray that we can do a great deal of good in all of our ability and our power in which you've given us. Lord, as you've done the good work in our lives, might we be the good witness and make a difference in this world. You are King Jesus. You are worth serving. We should live for you and love you and seek to make this world a better place for the good of other people and for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to support North Valley Church by partnering with us through giving, you can do so by visiting us online at northvalley.org. Thanks and have a great day.